What a delight to see you, and what a joy to be invited to be with you again. I have uh, missed you, let's put it that way. Let me uh, tell you a story to start with. A number of years ago, a gentleman from here in Southern California, a friend of mine, was kind of worn out from his work and decided to take a week in Hawaii just uh, on a cruise around the islands and take that time just to study the Bible and to uh, reread The Jesus Style, my most important book. Well, on that very first day, he was in one of the lounge areas, and he was sitting there with his Bible open, reading it, and he had The Jesus Style face up on the chair next to him. An 85-year-old man walked up and pointed at the book and said, What's that? He said, Well, it's a book about Jesus. Oh, I don't believe in that blankety-blank stuff. He said, well, maybe you don't understand him. Uh, Here, take the book and read it. Look, I'm 85 years old. I don't read books anymore. He said, at any rate, the doctors tell me I'm going to die in a few days, and so I've spent all of my money to get my family on this cruise so I could say goodbye to them. And I plan to get so drunk, I won't even know I'm on this ship. Well, my friend wisely said, you know, you're right. I can't expect you to read this book, but why don't we have some fun? Like what? Let me read it to (laughs) you. Okay. (laughs) So he sat down and they started to read the book to him. And by the third day, this 85-year-old man had given himself to the Lord. Ah, but the story's not over. On the way home, they lived on the East Coast. He was sitting by one of his sons, and the son said, Dad, what's going on? What are you talking about? Well, what's up? What do you mean? Dad, you're not drunk. (laughs) Oh, that's what you mean. He said, well, here, take it and read it for yourself. And he pulled out the Jesus style from the pocket of the plane and gave it to him. By the time they got home, the son had also become a follower of Jesus. The last that I heard, more than 40 members of that family had come to know the Lord because of that one book. Now, here's here's the interesting thing. They sent it back to the man who originally had it. They had his name and address. And they said, we want you to present this back to the author with our gratitude and let him know that we all have our own copies now. And so... Here it is. I'm holding in my hand this incredible book with that story. Kind of kind of beat up like me, you know. It's a... Now, does that sound like a sales pitch? Well, it isn't. Actually, um, I'm giving them away. And if you were to go out into the lobby, you will not find them. I brought over 500 copies <laughs> at the first service. Took them all. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring more this next week. And I've asked them, if they would, not to put it out until after the second service. So if you get here kind of early, and you can probably get in on them, they'll be free. Well, uh, 
there, there are some things that Jesus said that bother me. I don't know if they do you. But one that bothers me. He said, let the children come to me because that's what the kingdom is made of. Now, that kind of makes you think. But I can still go with that. But then he said, unless you become like one of them, you can't go to heaven. What? So <clears throat> we <clears throat> intelligent people have been trying ever since to explain those verses away. <laughs> you know, what do you mean become like a child? I mean, they, 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 my parents kept saying, "Grow up," you know. <laughs> and in my deliberations with the Lord, I finally heard Him say, "Gail, I meant it." Oh, okay. So what did you mean by it? And I finally, it's like, you know, when your eyes open up. Because my wife and I have had four children. I think we have, uh, honey, how many do we have? (laughs) We have ten great-grandchildren. And so I'm really enjoying watching what's happening in their lives. And I realized afresh Sometimes you've got, got to be old before you understand. You see, that's, they give you children when you're young, and you don't know anything about having children. But I realized what it is about is simplicity. Simplicity. We have a tendency to make things complicated. Well, as you know, in the Greek, it says such and such and such and such, but it could possibly mean this. If you go back to the Hebrew, it would be... And it becomes unsimple. Well, I thought, if that's true now, that it's simplicity, then that ought to be at least pretty obvious somewhere in the New Testament when Jesus taught. Well, you know it is, because I'm going to take you there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Now, I need to clue you ahead of time. I'm a guy who likes to make the Bible very present, very relevant in terms of our day. So I'm going to read it and have fun with it. I'm going to read it, the first verse here, the, not the first one, but verse 34, the way I see it, and then I'll go back and read it right, okay? But when the Republicans heard that he had silenced the Democrats... Look, go back and study all this for yourself. Things have not changed, folks. Now I'll read it right. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, they've been around a long time, folks, asked him a question, testing him. They haven't changed either, have they? And saying, teacher, and I think there was syrup in that, teacher, (laughs) Which is the great commandment in the law? Now, folks, let me explain what that question meant. That's like asking, hey, when the sun comes up each day, what do we call that? Like morning? It was this thing, because every believing Jewish or every practicing Jewish family would every morning 
say this particular verse together as a creed. We call it the Great Shema. But don't worry about that. I'm just trying to prove I know something. (laughs) And so Jesus responded by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Hmm. This is the first and great commandment. Don't you wish he had stopped there? Oh, boy. And the second is like it. He elevates it to the same level. And he says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) He doesn't know my neighbors. (laughs) we, We obviously have two problems here. First of all, how can you love a God you can't even see? How can you love a God that you're not sure whatever you're feeling is Him or whatever happens, decause it or permit it or what have you? Uh, any of you who deal with insurance know of the term acts of God. Remember what they are? Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, you know, the good stuff. Well, so how can we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you noticed that when, uh, the more you know someone, the more you tend to love them? I I know my wife, when I first saw her, and she's here today, she's been hanging around with me for over 60 years, bless her heart. When I first met her, boy, oh boy, I fell pretty hard and fast, and the next thing I wanted to know was everything about her that she could tell me, you know. And I'm discovering she hadn't told me everything yet. (laughs) I'm amazed at what new things I keep hearing. Well, you never told me that before. (laughs) (laughs) And God knows that if you will know him, if you really know him, then you're going to love him. Well, how are we going to know him? Well, she had to tell me about herself, my wife, God tells us about himself, and he gives a description specifically meant for us today, for us to know what he's like. He does this in Exodus 34, after Moses had won, had won an argument with God. And he said, uh, okay, now, uh, can I see you? Show me your glory. And God said, well, we got a problem here. Can't let you see that, but I tell you what. I'll put you in a cave and hide you with my hand, and I will pass by, and when I'm passing by, I will reveal or explain or proclaim or teach you my name. Now, we sang about that this morning. I loved the worship. It was just wonderful because I'm thinking, they're getting me all set for my message. I can go two hours today. (laughs) And so back then, your name meant something different than ours. So many of us are, are, how do they know? How many many guys are named Gail anyway? No, that's not the good one. There's George, you know, and and Bill and what have you. And so we have to have numbers today. But back then, if you knew the definition of a person's name and his name, then you knew the person. It was different, you see. And every person had a definition of his name. And when you knew it, you knew the person. 
God had a definition of his name so we could know him. And in Exodus 34, I'm going to march through this right quick. He tells Moses as he passes by, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and faithfulness, mercy to thousands, forgiving wickedness, forgiving rebellion, forgiving sin. You like that? I mean, if you're trying to put together the perfect God, man, that would be what you would do. How can you not love that? In fact, this is so important. I want you to repeat it after me so you can hear it from your own lips and remember it better. And when I say it and then you say it after me, don't whisper. Shout it at me. Ready? Compassionate. Compassionate. Gracious. Gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in mercy and faithfulness. Abounding in mercy and faithfulness. Mercy to thousands. Forgiving wickedness. Forgiving rebellion. Forgiving sin. You like this? This is too good, isn't it? But that's our God. You've got to understand. How can you not love that? Oh, I know. There's one more. Uh, Yet not letting the guilty go unpunished. (laughs) Visiting the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. (laughs) Now, I I presented that that way because that's the way I heard things when I was a kid. I didn't hear the other part. I don't know. that, That last part preaches real good. But I have some interesting news for you. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy's... 5 and 7, Deuteronomy 5 and 7, make this clear to us what that one's about. That is only for those who hate God. Now, I doubt very seriously that there's anyone here who said, you know, I hate God so much, I think I'll go to church. (laughs) So that doesn't apply to you, see. But even beyond that, when you become a follower of Jesus... All curses are gone. Whatever there you think may have been a curse on you, it's removed, it's gone, doesn't apply to you. So only what we have quoted together actually applies to you. That, to me, is good news. Now I can love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, but love your neighbor. That's another thing, isn't it? Um, I, back in... Uh, Eighteen something when I was in college. I'm trying. Uh, a guy in Atlanta, Georgia, wrote a book called Situation Ethics, and it was pretty popular on my campus. And it, it took this position. He took each of the Ten Commandments and described a situation in which it would be wrong, at least in his eyes, to obey that commandment. And his premise was, therefore. Don't give me rules because there's always some place where they don't apply. But let me take each situation and decide what the loving thing to do is and do that and it'll always be right. Now this book troubled me because that's kind of close to scripture. But it troubled me in another way because I thought "There's there's a flaw here somewhere. I found it. It had a name. Gail Irwin. Me, 
And I realize you can't just turn me loose and say, Gail, just do the loving thing because there's just enough larceny in my soul <laughs> that at some point I'm going to say, what's in this for me? You know, And that destroys everything. So I realized somebody's got to teach me how to love. I don't know how. My definitions are all wrong. Well, we do get that. And we go to John chapter 13. And I'm going to, rather than read that to you, I'm going to narrate it. That's the chapter in which Jesus institutes what we call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper or Communion. And I need to describe a little bit about what's going on there. First of all, you need to know this. They didn't sit at tables like we do. They didn't have chairs and tables like that. Maybe they had places to sit, but there were not chairs and tables. Their tables were low, and they would recline at the table. Now, this one was shaped like a squared-off horseshoe. They called it a Roman triclinium. And they would uh, recline around that with their legs and feet sticking out like, a, like a bicycle spokes around that table. One thing you need to know about the table is that when people did recline at a table like this, they would recline according to rank. Now this will explain why the apostles argued so much over who was the greatest. Every time they sat down for a meal, the argument would come up, who's the greatest, I'm better than you, or you are not. You sat here last time, and I heard Jesus rebuke you. Yeah, it's my turn to sit here. Now, there's something about this, too, that's very fascinating. We know who the guy was seated, that was seated in the first rank position. He tells us. You know, it's like, when you, you remember when you got straight A's in school? You, you don't remember. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I can remember getting an A. And when you did, you know, you put your, your card in the pocket where everybody can see it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here's what this guy does. He tells us, he said he was the disciple whom Jesus loved who leaned against his breast. Now, at first you think, hey, what, one, what kind of guys were these anyway? <laughs> but he's telling you where he reclined in that first position. Because when you're reclining on your left side to speak to the guy behind, you've got to lean back against his chest. That's simple as that. That was John. John was good at that, you know. He reports, you know, when he and Peter raced to the tomb, he won. I didn't need to know that, but he needed to tell me. Now, the next person was Jesus, because he would have been the host. So he was the second person at the table. The third person was a guest of honor. Now, the guest of honor would sit next to the host. The host would take bread to begin the banquet, rip off part of it. They didn't have sliced bread back then. Dip it in the sop. Now, that doesn't sound very appetizing, does it? Sop. But they wouldn't get excited over a hot dog either. <laughs> Dip it in the sop and put it in the guest of, mouth's, guest of honor's mouth and say something like, you do me honor or compliment him in some way. Who got that bite. Judas. Judas. Jesus honored Judas at that table knowing that he was going to betray him. 
also the guest of honor and the host would eat from the same bowl. Back then, they believed that when you ate with someone, you literally became part of that person. Now, we may, we know, oh, well, that can't be. We're too scientifically minded to believe that. But maybe there's something that goes on beyond science about which that means. And when we partake of communion, we're saying we're members one of another. In fact, Paul even says that. He says, we are members one of another because we are partakers of the same loaf. Hmm. Okay, well, we know who was in the last position too. You ready for this? I love this. Peter, what's he doing over there? He's wondering himself. (laughs) How do we know he was there? Because he signaled, and Jesus said, one of you will betray me. He signaled across the table to John and said, ask him who it is. Now, there are two ways that we can think about how he got there. Number one, remember they're arguing all the time. I can hear him arguing about how he should be up higher. Look, who walked on water? And they say, yeah, and who sank? <laughs> well, who had the great revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, straight from the Father? And who, to whom did Jesus say right after that, get behind me, Satan? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But the third thing is the reason I think he was over there, because... Jesus patiently taught these guys. They were jerks, you know. I'm serious. And I'm convinced that he chose these guys just to prove who he could work with. So you're all eligible. (laughs) I'm talking to an apostolic congregation here. Well, I think finally, you know, Peter, Jesus would patiently teach him, and he'd say, oh, that's right, guys. Whoever's greatest needs to be least. (laughs) I'll go over here. We all know why, don't we? And so here they are. Now, I don't guess you needed to know that, but this next thing you do need to know. Let me see. I I don't know your name, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to pick on you. If I were to visit your house today, knock on the door. I would hope you'd say, Gail, good to see you. Shake my hand, maybe embrace me, say, come in, have a seat. Let me get you a cup of coffee or some other godly drink. And those are American greeting rituals. They are the simplest in the world. If this were 2,000 years ago, it would be a little different. I'd knock on your door. You would greet me, Gail, good to see you. And you would kiss me on both cheeks, which they still do in some places. You would seat me, and if I were especially welcomed, you would anoint my head with oil. Now, we sometimes pray for the sick, you know, and when we do, we will often anoint them with oil, but we have a little little olive oil thingy here. and That's okay, but that's not the way they did it back then. They'd take a bottle of olive oil and empty it on your head and slick it down, you know. And yuck, you know. But there's an advantage to that. See, if I were to leave your house today, especially welcome, who would know? But man, everybody would know back then, hey man, somebody loves that dude, look at the greasy head. <laughs> but there was one other thing that was part of the greeting ritual, to, and we have no corollary for it today. That is, you'd wash my feet. Now, People wore sandals, the roads were but dust. It didn't take long before you were uncomfortable. And hospitality is the art of making people comfortable. 
and so you'd wash my feet. Well, uh, the problem, a real problem. They considered, as millions do in this world today, that the bottom of the foot was the dirtiest part of the body. And so if you had any servants, the lowest ranked servant, ah, man, I've got to do this, <laughs> would wash feet. But if you were too poor to have servants, you would wash my feet, but it would be a public admission of your low estate. Wow. Huh. Now let's go back to this table. Thirteen guys surrounding that table. Twelve apostles and Jesus. Thirteen dirty feet. Hmm. Well, Peter said, I ain't washing feet. If I wash feet, they'll believe I belong down here. Nobody's feet had been washed. Now you understand why. They were arguing a selfish argument. You know, I'm greater than you. Mm. So what happens? The king of kings, the lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the Son of God, the Savior of our souls, the greatest in the kingdom, gets up from that table and washes their feet. The only person who said anything was Peter, and after he said it, he was sorry. He said, Lord, wash everything, head, hands, and all. You, don't, you just need your feet washed. The rest of the time it was silent as he did the lowest slave job there. And by the time it was over, there was only one pair of feet that was still dirty. That of Jesus himself. Amazing. And afterward he says, well, you guys call me Lord and Master, and I am. And he said, I've washed your feet. But then he said something that has troubled us ever since. You ought also to wash one another's feet. Why does it trouble you? Because the washing of feet is not one of our, I mean, our, look, we got shoes. We got nice, we protect our feet. It's not the same thing at all. So I know there are places sometimes I've, I've seen pastors announce, let's have a foot washing service, you know, on Wednesday or something. And, and maybe five people will show up <laughs> with the cleanest feet they've had in centuries. <laughs> so it, it has lost all of what it's meant back then. But when you realize this was a very soothing, cleansing, honoring, and in some cases healing thing that you did, when we do things like that for someone else, we have, in a very real case, washed their feet. Anytime you make, you're hospitable, making people feel comfortable and, and glad to be here when we're, in one sense, when we stopped just to shake hands, man. I was glad to see some of those folks. And I hope they really knew that and felt more comfortable because of it. But that's just a simple thing. There are thousands of things. There is no limit to the number of ways you can help someone else. Well, Jesus says now, you call me Lord and Master, and I am. You ought also to wash one another's feet. And he says, a new commandment I give you. Oh, man. We've got over 600. 
You're not going to add one to it. Oh, oh. That's enough to defeat anybody. It's like my trying to remember all the speed limit signs. I, I just basically consider them recommendations. I said that years ago at a men's retreat in Colorado. I didn't know there were five policemen there. They all wanted their picture taken with me. I'm convinced that they've got them pinned to their visor, and I'm going to find him one of these days. So now we know what love is like. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. We just got the definition of love from God himself. I did the servant job for you that you needed and none of you had done. Now that's love. We now have a definition of love. Oh, I thought love was this feeling you kind of had in your in your innards. You know, I just love you. Uh, I love French fries. <laughs> I love ice cream. All about the same. We usually think of love as an emotion, don't we? But here's the thing about that. Emotions are fickle. They come and they go. They change a lot. It's not that they're bad. They just are not trustworthy. That's why I don't have a gun at my house. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm not always nice. And If I had one, my wife would not know where it is. Because emotions come and go. People have asked me, can you love someone and not like them? Well, like has nothing to do with it. It has some to do with it, but, uh, but it's not the source of it. Love is what we do because we want to serve and we want to make life better for someone else, if for no other reason, because they are important to God. God loves them. But you know what? An interesting thing after that. Jesus says, this is the way the world will know you belong to me. Oh. Wait a minute, I'll show you my card. No, no. It's by our servanthood, our acts of service toward others to make life better for them. And feelings may come or they may go, but I think most of the time they work with it. And here's why. Jesus said, now, this is the way the world will identify you, that you belong to me. But in John chapter 15, he goes back through this a little bit, and he says, now, (laughs) you know, I'm telling you this. Remember, my commandment is that you love one another. And he says, I'm telling you this so your joy may be full. Oh, have you noticed that yourself is never satisfied? Nobody ever treats you quite as good as you deserve. Nobody's ever quite as nice to you as you would like to be. Nobody out on the freeway ever lets you cut in. You got to force your way in. Yourself is never satisfied. Stop and think about that for a second. Yourself. 
I mean, it, it irritates me no end when, you know, I like I, I, a computer. It's the best tool I've ever had in my hands, you know. And sometimes I have to get a new one. And when I bring it out of the door of the place where I bought it, there's something in it that says, I'm out of date. I'm obsolete already. I never am treated the way I ought to be. Yeah. That's the way of the world. But our way is different because the great lover of our souls taught us how to love by the way we treat one another. Simple as that. The early church kind of proved it. They were so servant-hearted that the Bible says there was no one there that even had a need. Wow. You know what our problem is today is that we don't know each other. I am an, I'm an advocate for additional services, but much smaller ones where you can get to know, maybe 12 or 14, where you can get to know each other or less and hear each other and pray for one another. I'll just ask you some simple questions here. Whose deepest need do you know? And, and you're praying for them about it. Now the other question. Who knows your deepest need and is praying for you about it? Another question. If you get arrested and go to jail, who are you going to call? <laughs> you know? Well, this is the problem of, uh, of th this kind of seating. You see, this is like the Greek theater. You're out there observing the, the performance going on up here. Oh, man, I hope you'd hurry up. Oh, man, I left my watch at home. I can't even. I'll tell you, it's 1.30. No. Yeah, it is. But Jesus gives us now the definition of love. And he says, I'm telling you this so your joy will be full. When you bless someone else, if, I mean, if you're miserable in life, then start blessing other people. You will turn into the happiest person you ever knew. You, it's hard to believe. I have a, a friend in Tennessee. He's a retired professor at a famous university, but he happens to be a man of wealth also. And he heard the, Jesus, the nature of Jesus back in 1985. I taught it at a conference in Nashville. It turned his life around. He now devotes his life to blessing people that nobody else will bless. When he hears, and one particular girl that I met, a book was written about this. When they found her by the state, she had been in this one room six years of her life. She didn't even have a, a, a language. She was half starved. State didn't know what to do with her. He was there. He heard about this. And he provided for her a teacher to teach her who would understand someone to be her guardian and take care of her as a person. He just surrounded her with the things that would help her become the person she had been created to be. And at one point somebody asked him, why don't you do something really big and great with the money you have? He said, well, if I do, will you take care of these hurting people? No. Well, then I guess I will have to. And once when he had helped someone else, who is one of my prayer warriors now, a young lady with a cerebral palsy, and nobody could take care of her. The state had nothing for her. She had no relatives. And he moved into her life in the most wonderful way. 
And once when he had helped her with something and was going back home, he stopped and he emailed me and told me what he had done. And he said, I feel like a million dollars. I said, you're on to something. You're on to something that your joy may be full. Bless somebody. Uh, let me see. Have I? No, I haven't taken you yet to the proof that it is the new commandment to fulfill and replace all others. Had you forgotten? <laughs> well, go with me to Romans chapter 13. And it's, it's really significant that Paul would be the one to say this because he, he was the complete uh, legalist, you know. He said, in the law, I'm blameless. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee. So it is appropriate that he got this message and shared it. Verse 8 of Romans 13, page 999. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, that's an obligation that uh, it's going to take you a while to fulfill that. You just have always have work to do. That's okay. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Do you see that? And then he goes on. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all, how much? Summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now folks, Is that simple? Or is it simple? Love God, love your neighbor. The whole Bible hangs on those two commandments. When you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. When you have blessed them, when you have served them, you have fulfilled the law. Wow. Now I'm going to ask this question, and I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to ask you, don't raise your hand. Do you struggle with sin? (laughs) Well, I have good news for you. When you are blessing someone, you're not sinning. (laughs) So as you serve, as you bless, you take care of it all. It's the perfect righteous life. And it's so simple. So simple. And finally, I understood. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself and that's it. Well, I told you about Jesus' statement about children. Now I can understand. A child can understand that. A child can, this is simple enough. And then I realized something in my own life. I was born on a farm in Oklahoma and my Sunday school teacher, the Sunday school church was 15 miles away, dirt roads often washed out and couldn't get there. But my teacher in my young years was uh, Sister Craig, they called her, and I did too. I never called any adult by their first name or I'd get a whipping, you know, because that was disrespectful. But she was Sister Craig to me. And every Sunday in our class, every Sunday, she would begin the class with a song. She would pull out 
a ukulele. Now, I'd never seen one of those before, and I thought, well, she picked that guitar before it was ripe. (laughs) And she would lead us in this children's song every Sunday. Now, I'm going to sing it to you, so prepare yourselves here. Uh, And I've changed two words, and you'll understand. I hope you will. If you don't, ask me afterward. (laughs) Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, brown and amber, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. I heard that every Sunday. I decided he loves me. I'm a child. This is incredible. What did I do to deserve it? My parents would wonder that too. (laughs) But you know, now that I am, well, older, I I, I don't think I've grown up yet, but I am older. But also in living for the Lord, there are certain elements of this that take on additional vocabulary, but just explode out of my soul, man. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stone on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor couldn't the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Now, I go back to a child's song, one that I imagine you know, and you're welcome to sing it with me, as I do. But before I do, let me tell you that my wife and I have ten great-grandchildren. One of them's name is Jack, and when he was born and uh, still in arms, they came out to our house And I took him in my arms and walked outside and and introduced the things that are around our house to him. And I would sing this song to him over and over. And he would, in his inadequate child voice, try to sing it with me. And I loved that. And it goes this way. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I would sing that to him, and as he listened... I'm not through yet. (laughs) But thank you anyway. I know you were clapping, hoping I was through. So he has become, this has gotten into his heart. He's become the greatest young man. I mean, I'm absolutely in awe of his spirit. and, And he's living this out. 
and then he had a brother, three years younger than him, named Daniel. Now, don't ask me to explain Jack Daniel. <laughs> and we didn't have quite the same time together that, that I had with Jack, and it troubled us because we thought, how can we get this into his heart and soul? And one day when they were out at our house, uh, we had a gift that we'd like to give to each of them when they were leaving and also when they were getting there. But we had one for Jack and, oh man, we hadn't thought this through. We didn't have one for Daniel. What were we going to do? And my wife, oh, with just spiritual brilliance, <laughs> goes over to a closet and pulls out a lamb, stuffed lamb, that when you squeeze it, it sings very clearly, Jesus loves me, this I know. And we gave it to Daniel, and he sat there at our house and squeezed it and squeezed it and squeezed it and squeezed it. His mother said on the two-hour drive home, all he did was squeeze that and listen to that song. And when he got home, he sat there on the floor for about another hour and just listen to that song and I'm going way to go God you knew how you knew how Uh, another brother has been born his name is Wyatt but I was at a gathering of that section of the family the other day, and, and Wyatt was there, and I went over and sat beside him, and I began to sing that song. And his mother said, his brother Daniel sings that to him all the time. Yes! <sighs> Let the children come to me. Well, now I'm going to sing my last song, and when I finish with it, You can shout, do whatever you want. (laughs) But forgive my, you know, my, my laughter kind of stuff here. But if you happen to be, I don't know how to describe every situation, but maybe you're here in church at least, and you kind of like God or you put up with him or whatever, but you've not made your own commitment to him. You've not turned your heart and life over to him. And in many ways, you just simply are unacquainted with the depths of his love and his blessings. But you've been listening to me today. And maybe today is your day to say your yes to him. And while I'm singing this next song, make it your song. And if you have chosen to do that, when I'm finished, there's a prayer room over there. The brother is waving his hand. Please go over there and at least let them know that you did that. And tell them that you, that, uh, you don't know what to do next. <laughs> and they'll pray for you and give you some stuff that will help you in your walk. And they'll just embrace you and bring you into a wonderful, loving fellowship. But this now, is I've sang it many times. And now it's your song too. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, 
Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you.